This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Thursday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Here's the weather forecast for today. Mainly cloudy, a chance of showers, and a high of 11 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Canada revenue workers have reached a deal with the government. Number two, an accused poisoner makes his first court appearance. Number three, the prime minister's brother says the Trudeau Foundation is above politics. Number four, the provincial government is targeting auto theft. Number five, Gordon Lightfoot's visitation in Aurelia is announced for Sunday. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. May the 4th. Be with you. It's May 4th, an unofficial Star Wars holiday, but why not? I think one of the fascinating things about Star Wars is, I guess this is what happens when, you know, you're 14 years old when the first Star Wars movie comes out and you're absolutely, it rocks your world. And then you become a Star Wars addict for the rest of your life. But then you're in your 50s. And you've had a fairly successful life and all of a sudden you can afford to spend $500,000 on, you know, one of the lightsabers that was used in the movie. And so there is a, a certain foolishness, I guess, for adult Star Wars fans. It's still just a crazy science fiction franchise. But as people age, they remain very heavily invested in it. And then there's the whole sort of Coke versus Pepsi, Rolling Stones versus Beatles world of Star Wars versus Star Trek. And much as I love Star Wars, because I remember going to the Cote St. Luke shopping center and they had a cinema there and I watched the first Star Wars movie and that was what, 1977? So I was 11 years old. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing that ever happened, ever. And... You know, then, you know, you continue through life and you sort of, I guess it transports you back to being a kid all over again, but being able to enjoy it as uh, an adult. All right. Enough philosophizing on the fourth. Uh, Incidentally, and we'll talk about this in greater detail shortly when we join up with our friends at CP24, but Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, is being honored today with a star on the Walk of Fame. And she passed away was it Christmas Day, Boxing Day? But it was at Christmas time uh, four years ago. And never let it be forgotten how sad was it that she and her mother essentially died within days of each other. Okay, back to much more relevant news. And sorry to report, if you were hoping to get a break on your taxes, the Canada Revenue Agency workers have reached a deal with the federal government. So we had 155,000 workers who were uh, out and a portion of that group reached a deal earlier this week. And now the rump of it, 35,000 workers at the Canada Revenue Agency have also reached a deal. Um, Apparently, they're looking at about 11.5% wage increase over four years. Interesting aspect to all of this, which is that You know, um, first, the opposition conservatives were saying that Justin Trudeau was weak for having these people walk out. And now apparently he's weak for having settled with them. But as we discovered yesterday morning, and as you know, our 
pundits come f uh, of all stripes. It always cracks me up. I'll get an email from somebody saying, all of your pundits are liberals. And then I'll get another email saying, all of your pundits are conservatives. Why don't you have any liberals? We have a pretty mixed bag. I mean, you can't say when you got Scott Reed, who was the advisor to Paul Martin, and Deb Hutton, who was the advisor to two very conservative premiers of Ontario, you can't necessarily say that we're showing any degree of favoritism. And on our panels yesterday, most people agreed that the settlement that the government reached with the civil service was largely in line with inflation. It was actually behind inflation. And so we didn't exactly sell out when we reached a deal with the workers. And once again now, we have a, a vulnerability, I guess you could say, for the federal government that has been resolved. So now Pierre Polyev is gonna have to move on to something else. Some plans have been revealed for Gordon Lightfoot's memorial, and a public visitation has been scheduled in Aurelia, Ontario, his hometown. Um, visitation will be happening at St. Paul's United Church, where he sang in the, in the choir. Uh, that's going to be happening from 1 to 8 p.m. And then actually they're saying it's going to be a private funeral. I know there was some pushing. Not sure if our friend Joe Warmington, although it would be entirely up his alley, uh, was amongst those saying that we should have a state funeral for Gordon Lightfoot. But I think, you know, somewhat smaller scale affair is probably in order. Gordon Lightfoot was an extraordinarily modest man. Uh, one of those people where, you know, I, I'll never forget the day where we were convened. There was a selected list of people. Richard Krauss and I were on the list. And we were invited to Gordon Lightfoot's home to go and sit with him and do interviews. And, you know, in, in almost every interview, Gordon Lightfoot was sort of, I don't know why you're here. You know, I don't know why you need to talk with me. I don't know. Well, because you're a legend. That's why. No, no, no. Um, but Gordon Lightfoot will be remembered, but not with sort of state honors, which I don't think he would have wanted anyway. Ford government is targeting auto thefts. I am very, very happy to see this. You know, there are certain things that will happen in a community that concern policing. And you'll think, okay, this is where I'd like you to put your resources. And right now, auto theft is on a runaway and has been for the last two years or so. And it's everything from cars being stolen out of people's driveways, to come back to the same person I just referenced, Deb Hutton and Tim Hudak had not one but two cars stolen out of the driveway. They had a, I think it was a Lexus was stolen out of their driveway and then they got another one because the insurance settlement came in and then they stole that one too. And Deb actually cautioned that, you know, in spite of the fact they, they actually had Faraday pouches for the fobs, which I went out and bought after a series of robberies quite frequently or quite recently. And she said, yeah, well, don't knock yourself out because uh, we had Faraday pouches and they stole them anyway. Um, and then you have people, I mean, being held up at knife point and gunpoint on the streets of the GTA and people driving away with their cars. So these are the kind of things when you think of where are we deploying police resources, aside from, you know, trying to restore some semblance of order in our city's core and on the TTC, I'm very happy to see the Ontario government is going to spend more than $51 million over three years to fight car theft across the province.
And you can see how the stealing of cars is an extraordinarily profitable thing. I mean, it costs almost nothing to steal a car and then it's worth probably, I, I wouldn't know actually what uh, the retail is for a stolen car, but it's tens of thousands of dollars. And all they do is get it to Montreal and put it onto, into a container, put it on a ship, send it to whatever far-flung country. And, you know, the, the, the value of that vehicle that was stolen for almost no investment, because it'd, it'd be interesting, you know, maybe we should talk with our crime specialist, Mark Mendelson. I'd be very curious, what, the person who takes the car out of your driveway, what do they get paid? The person who places it in a box at the Port of Montreal, what do they get? The person who sells it in North Africa, what do they pocket? You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Hey, look at that, it's Thursday already. And yes, I can fully appreciate the fact I didn't work Monday and Tuesday, so it should come as no surprise to me that we are marching through the week and here we are adjacent to Friday. So um, I guess it all depends on what your analysis is of the deal that was reached, but I think most people would agree it's better to have federal workers on the job than off the job. The public sector union that represents Canada Revenue Agency employees, and I guess maybe one day somebody can explain to me why there are two different unions representing these federal employees, because we had the other union, which was about 105,000 people or 120,000 public sector workers. They reached a deal a couple of days ago. And now we learn that the Canada Revenue Agency employees have also reached a deal. And as much as we like to kid around about the idea that with CRA workers off the job, we didn't have to file our taxes. As a matter of fact, the only thing that was interfering with was getting refunds. Uh, taxes were still, you were required to have your taxes in on Monday, the 1st of May, and you're required to have your 2022 obligations fully paid up or you start facing penalties. And as we learned, the penalties are, you can be, it's not automatic, but usually you'll be assessed 5% penalty on what you owe on day one. And then each passing month, they will charge interest on unpaid contributions. Um, we are told that the government has reached a deal where the workers are going to get 11.5% over four years, which is actually behind the rate of inflation. And I know there are people who are reflexively against federal workers or anybody who works on the public ticket getting any kind of raise. And I'll often hear from people, well, I didn't get a raise, why should they? Okay, maybe it's time for you to find a way to shake down your employer for a raise. I'm never particularly sympathetic to the idea that if somebody has things better than you, instead of resenting them, maybe you should be trying to figure out how to, how to get a better deal. But it's, there is something very, very Canadian. They always talk about trying to remember the exact allegory as told, but it's a bunch of uh, crabs in a pail. And they say, uh, you know, in, in any other culture, some of the crabs would climb to the top, find their way out and get back to the ocean. But in Canada, the other crabs would just pull it back in. So speaking of wildlife, I don't know what it is but dead raccoons in Toronto that they become a part of our folk culture lore. But a Toronto actor, Gene Yoon, 
from Kim's Convenience has been sharing multiple images of a raccoon that has been lying dead near her home for two weeks. She called 311, and that apparently is what you're supposed to do when you've got dead wildlife. And on any other day, apparently, the response time is two days that they will come around and clear away a dead animal. Although, if it's on private property, so like if you've got a dead squirrel on your back porch, then you have to look after that. But if there is a raccoon, as is the case here, lying dead on the sidewalk, then they would normally come within two days, but it's been two weeks. So finally, somebody put some plastic on top of this dead raccoon, but it is still awaiting um, uh, pickup. Time of writing of this particular account, uh, they said it was 2 p.m. Wednesday and the raccoon was still there. So, uh, and incidentally, you learn so many interesting things when it comes to a stupid story like a dead raccoon lying on the sidewalk. But uh, small dead animals, such as squirrels, mice, and rats, can be placed in the garbage so long as they are double bagged. So, as I like to say, govern yourself accordingly. So yesterday, Alexandre Trudeau, who is the younger brother to Justin Trudeau, was testifying before Parliament about the Trudeau Foundation and donations that they received from a Chinese billionaire. And I know that there are people who keep on hoping that there is more fire than smoke to this story, but yesterday didn't really feed it. The Prime Minister's younger brother made a rare step onto the public stage. Alexandre Trudeau came before a parliamentary committee to defend the organization named for their father. The Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation has not been a part of any foreign interference attempts. At issue, $140,000 in donations from Chinese billionaires that he signed for on behalf of the foundation in 2015. Money, the opposition charges, that was intended to win favor with his brother's government. That's quite a deal for $140,000, I'd say that they were both able to, to access uh, the Prime Minister. Trudeau said the money was for scholarships, and he denied speaking with his brother about the donations or the foundation. I'm one of the few adult people in this country who can offer him a world outside of politics. Earlier today, Justin Trudeau was responding to other allegations, that he didn't warn Conservative MP Michael Chong that his family had been targeted by a Chinese diplomat over his 2021 motion denouncing the treatment of Chinese minority groups. Mr. Speaker, I vote for the motion. Trudeau said he learned only this week from Canada's spy agency about a threat to retaliate against Chong's relatives in Hong Kong. CSIS made the determination that it wasn't something that needed to be raised to a higher level because it wasn't a significant enough concern. Not good enough, says Chong. Is the government did nothing about a person in Canada that was targeting me and my family and targeting other MPs. And that is an appalling lack of... Of leadership. The Conservatives are demanding the diplomat from the Toronto Consulate be expelled. Any other Canadian had done this, they'd be charged and in jail, but because the Prime Minister has given diplomatic immunity and credentials to this agent, he's able to act, act with impunity. I'm afraid the Conservative leader is inventing the laws around diplomatic immunities. So far, the government has not sanctioned that diplomat, but the Prime Minister says he expects CSIS to warn MPs of any attempts by foreign actors to influence their work. That's Glenn McGregor reporting for CTV. And, you know, the, the whole Trudeau Foundation thing 
kind of reminds me of the Hunter Biden situation. And maybe the Hunter Biden situation ultimately leads to something. But for the most part, it seems to be if somebody can come up with something that smells a little fishy about somebody they don't like, they'll make a big deal about it. But to date, the Trudeau Foundation stuff hasn't really amounted to much, has it? And, you know, I guess the big question would be this. Where can you actually demonstrate that Canada's policies are somehow perverted by Chinese influence? Because there doesn't seem to be anything particularly aberrant about our policy on China. And, and I'd point out whenever people talk about election interference, which is something that, yes, warrants investigation, but not one single vote in Canada's parliament has gone China's way. So apparently, if they are trying to influence the behavior of our government, then their money is not actually leading to anything particularly productive for them. In just a moment, what would a death spiral on the TTC look like? Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So the Maple Leafs take on the Panthers tonight. And that's a local game. It's kind of interesting to see. They keep on expanding the footprint of the outdoor aspect of the playoff series in the city's core. And I know that the deputy police chief appeared on the show while I was away, uh, but she appeared with Jerry Agar to talk about security measures. I just hope that we don't get to the point where you know, it's sort of beyond something we can control and contain. I hope that people continue to behave themselves. Um, for the most part, I mean, I, I think the celebrations when we won in the first round were contained in terms of public damage to one road sign. And I don't even know if they managed to pull that off the post. They were trying to pull it off the post. I don't know if they managed to pull it off the post. Um, but still, you get to a certain critical mass where things can become somewhat fraught. And I'm always going to remember, because this is what, you know, crowds are about. Crowds are like massive animals. They're like, uh, what do they call them, murmurings? When you have birds that are all streaking around in the sky in a massive, you know, tens of thousands of birds, and they all circle and come together and come apart. And crowds are a bit like that. And in 1993, when the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup, I was about six blocks away from the Montreal Forum because that's where our um, uh, radio station was. And I was covering it along with uh, my friend Cindy Sherwin, who you may know from CTV now. And we were in the crowd. And within seconds, you can't even pin it down how it happened. We went from massive enthusiasm and celebration and exuberance to the first brick through a window. And then all of a sudden it was a riot. And then Cindy and I were being chased around. And it's hilarious because uh, Cindy is uh, an incredibly elegant woman, even, even when she was in her 20s. Um, there was just a certain demeanor about her and also fairly tiny. And a police officer whacked her on the back of her leg with a baton and she turned around and told him to go F himself. And I thought, that's okay. That's the Cindy I've never seen, but it's the Cindy I'm enjoying. Um, but yeah, I am hoping that we are not flirting with potential disaster by gathering these enormous crowds in our cities downtown. On the upside of things, let's celebrate the amount of money 
that is being generated as a result of this playoff series. And every single game, it's going to be crowds and crowds of people in downtown restaurants and bars and, you know, people going to the beer store and grabbing a six pack, whatever. It's just there is an exuberance. There is um, a froth in this town as a result of these playoffs. And may it continue for a good long time. So the way the series would work, John, is that if the Leafs win one other game, then we're guaranteed a game five here right. in Toronto. Okay. So if we, even if we lose tonight and win one in, in Florida, we're still coming back home. So we want to win one game so that we can come back and still make more money. Okay. I will look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Riel, NBC News national radio correspondent, joins us now. And the latest story, it just seems like we are consumed with artificial intelligence right now, but perhaps... Uh, it's quite fitting because a lot of people are beginning to wonder if AI is going to take over the world and everything that you saw in Terminator is going to happen. It's going to become self-aware and it's going to kill us all. Um, but the latest concern is interference in elections. Aaron Rayel, good morning. Yes, it's going to be the wild west of campaign claims, counterclaims, it, rather than moving from you know a quick little Photoshop tweak, this is an era of wholesale digital creation and dissemination that's going to take place. And, and the ability to have these instant responses of one quick example, after Joe Biden announced that he's running for president of the U.S. again, Republican National Committee, they actually used an AI generative video to criticize Biden that shows, this is just one example, that shows how likely AI is to transform these upcoming elections. And, and politicians can use this AI to respond instantly to campaign developments. In, in the RNC's case, it released the video right after Biden's re-election announcement, and it didn't appear that the party did extensive shooting, editing, anything like that. Rather, what it did was simply ask the tools to put together a video that detailed a dystopian future if Biden were re-elected, and it did it. And in the coming year, these response times are going to drop to minutes, and, and then AI can scan the internet, think of a strategy, and then come up with this hard-hitting appeal, and also the precise message targeting. That's an important part. You know, people on the far right or the far left, they have their minds made up. It's those in the middle, those that vote on very specific things, whether that be the economy, uh, health, rights for education, foreign policy, you don't know what's motivating someone specifically, but you do if you have access to their data. So creating very precise targeted messaging that swings a small number of voters. And when votes are, are you know, elections are often won by a couple tens of thousands of votes. Having that power is, is going to really, really move things in one direction. And then finally, there are currently zero guardrails in place for this new world that we're living in. Will they get there eventually? For sure. But as of today, this is a brave new world with new technology that no one is really familiar with. And and this year's election globally, or, or this and next, are going to look very different and have a lot of AI. Aaron, thank you so much. Good to have you. Thank you. Aaron Rael of NBC News. And one of the aspects of the internet and everything that Aaron, for example, has just been talking about there is, you know, she was talking about the Republican National Committee coming up with messaging in the wake of Joe Biden saying he was running. But you don't have to be some formal organization. You don't even have to have deep pockets. I mean, some kid in a basement in Illinois can generate a commercial and post it to the internet and people are going to see it. You don't need the means and you don't even have to buy time. Used to be if you wanted to message, 
you had to pay some media organization in order to platform you. Now, if you can generate enough heat, you can just post something that you made for free and have it seen for free. And if it gets traction, then, you know, it's going to have an impact. Although I will say, I am absolutely chuffed. I think it's uh, Anthony Peruzza is the city councilor who's currently advertising with us. And I have a feeling with 67 candidates and still a few days for more people to register to run for mayor of Toronto, this is going to be a very, very profitable <laughs> six weeks for us here at News Talk 1010 because this is where people come to play. It's where they come to listen. It's where they come to debate. It's where... Uh, candidates come to lobby. So I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot more commercials like that one. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.